Our national cybersecurity posture and its relative weakness, that goes back to the era of Reagan in terms of major government studies saying we are not prepared and we are catastrophically vulnerable. From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. Cyberspace has enabled great prosperity and innovation, encompassing almost every aspect of modern life. But along with it comes danger and vulnerabilities, like the incredibly sophisticated federal data breach discovered in early December. It may not look like it, but the United States is under attack. A suspected Russian hacking campaign has penetrated top-secret parts of the government. America under virtual invasion. That's what Senator Dick Durbin is calling a massive Russian cyber attack on U.S. government agencies. The scope of the hack is now widening. America's nuclear weapons agency among those breached. That confirmed today by the Department of Energy. Officials say they found suspicious activity in the networks that maintain our nuclear weapons stockpile. Senior intelligence officials say there is little doubt the Russians did this and that they're still at it. As this attack continues, it's not now, nor has it ever, been made clear what our leaders plan to do about breaches in American cybersecurity. But there's at least one positive factor both sides of the aisle are in agreement that something must be done to secure our networks. Heritage believes it must be done without causing harm. Here's Democratic Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney and Republican Senator Rick Scott. The whole government should be all over it. It's uh, deeply concerning, deeply distressing, and uh, an extreme uh, challenge for our country. If Russia is going to do these type of things uh, against our system, and then we ought to be very aggressive to make sure that, one, they get no benefit out of it, and actually they're harmed out of it. We, if you, you can't let sit here and just say, oh, please don't do it again. You've got to say, okay, so what are we going to do to make sure they suffer consequences? So what should we do? What happened in what's being called the worst ever U.S. government cyber attack? And how could it affect our national security down the line? Today, we explain. Our guest is Klon Kitchen. Kitchen has two decades of experience in the intelligence world, including several years at the CIA. And before becoming director of Heritage's Center for Technology Policy, he was national security advisor to Senator Ben Sass our discussion after this break. We're all guilty of it, spending too much time watching silly videos on the internet. But it's 2021, maybe it's time for a change. At the Heritage Foundation YouTube channel, you'll find videos that both entertain and educate, including Virtual events featuring the biggest names in American politics, original explainers and documentaries, and heritage experts diving deep on topics like election integrity, China, and other threats to our democracy. 
all brought to you by the nation's most broadly supported public policy research institute. Start watching now at heritage.org YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe and share. Clem, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. So what happened during the cyber attack? So we're gaining more insight by the day. Um, but what we know has happened is a, a group of state-backed hackers, uh, likely uh, from Russia, uh, and specifically Russia's intelligence service, the SVR, were able to gain access to a company called SolarWinds and to plant on their servers a piece of software that allowed them to then break into customers of SolarWinds networks when those customers connected uh, to the company for updates and, and for other services. Um, we know that um, that activity led the Russians to gain access to at least 250 uh, different networks, uh, both in the government and in the private sector. Uh, we're still trying to ascertain the uh, extent of that compromise, as well as the um, kind of the overall impact of that. But uh, among government agencies, we know that it includes the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Treasury, the Department of Commerce, uh, the Nuclear uh, Security Agency. Uh, we know that it includes Microsoft, including giving the hackers access to what's called their source code, which is kind of the, the keys of the kingdom on a lot of their software. Uh, and a host of other uh, activities, including potentially all five branches of the U.S. military. And so uh, what we don't know is once they gained access to those networks, you know, how successful they were in, in kind of unlocking other doors that will give them um, kind of future access. And uh, it, this is big. It, it, it's frankly, it's hard to overstate the significance of this hack. Media reports have called this the worst hack ever on United States on the United States government. Do you think that's a true statement? I think it could easily be that. We don't even fully understand the kind of first order impacts of this yet, let alone the second and third order. This is significant. So if it's so significant, and this is your area. You knew, you know, immediately when this happened and when it had been happening. And I asked that because a quick Google search says that this took place in March, but I didn't see any headlines until last month. How do you make sense of that? Well, it wasn't discovered until um, uh, like four weeks ago. So it, it was occurring uh, for about nine months uh, is when we think that they initially gained access but they were able to avoid a host of um, government and industry uh, kind of warning uh, pieces of software that typically tip us off to, to this type of activity. Um, and it was only after the attackers pivoted from government sources into a cybersecurity firm called FireEye. And when they broke into FireEye, they actually stole some of the company's what's called their Red Hat tools. So these are, these are pieces of software that that company uses to test the security of their clients. Um, and FireEye finally noticed uh, that this was going on, and it was FireEye who actually 
warned the government about this. And so it's entirely possible that had this private sector actor not realized this and taken action, that this attack could still be ongoing uh, without the government even knowing about it. What were they taking? Or do we not know yet? Yeah, so we don't know yet. Um, but, you know, Microsoft has 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 put out a statement saying that... Um, that you know that they have reason to believe that these these attackers got access to their 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 core code, um, which you know we don't know this, but the things that that could lead to, the possibilities are, um, you know, if if they were able to somehow implant a backdoor into the into the root code of Microsoft products and that went unaddressed, well then theoretically they would be able to gain they would be able to exploit that access essentially to anyone using those products and services. Um, there's When it comes to this type of, of compromise, there's a couple of different types of risk. There's the, there's the ability just to see, you know, they can get in the networks and observe what's going on and then they gain access to, you know, to, to secrets and information and things like that. Uh, there's the ability for them to steal information and leverage that. And that would, you know, for some of these companies, it could be intellectual property. Uh, it could be communications, which allow them to do more, you know, kind of sophisticated, uh, you know, phishing and other types of, of compromises in the future. There's also the concern about data manipulation. And this is the thing that I think is being um, not discussed sufficiently. In that when you get inside, you don't necessarily steal information, you just change information. And it's really hard to detect, you know, what information has been changed. But, you know, these are these are organizations, both in the private sector and public sector, who have large databases of data that are used for all kinds of decisions and all kinds of processes. And if you were to manipulate that data, you could send either the federal government or a private sector operator, you know, down, uh, you know, a rabbit trail in the wrong way. Uh, or you could cause them to make, you know, poor financial decisions based on, you know, faulty data or a whole host of other, you know, exceedingly negative consequences. And again, we're really early in this and the compromise is so big and so significant that we haven't even begun to put our arms around just how how problematic this is going to be and what it's really going to require to uh, remediate it. Hmm. That's pretty scary. Uh, you recently tweeted that this series of hacks will either finally spark a fundamental shift in our national cybersecurity posture or will demonstrate that nothing short of actual death and destruction will shake us from our stupor. Can you elaborate what you mean by that? There has been no lack of studies or reviews or investigations that determined that our nation is decisively vulnerable to precisely these kinds of attacks. Our national cybersecurity posture and its relative um, weakness, that goes back to the era of Reagan uh, in terms of major government studies saying we are not prepared and we are, we are catastrophically vulnerable. Uh, most recently, um, there was a, a government commission called the Cyber Solarium Commission. I actually wrote the legislation that created it, uh, and, and we, we kicked it out when I worked for Senator Ben Sass at the time. Uh, they have put out a massive study that lays out, you know, 80-plus recommendations on what we need to be doing uh, to shore up our national cybersecurity posture. This compromise is sufficiently big that 
the only thing that essentially hasn't been done, or at least the the, the potentiality of, of of negative consequences is so large that the only thing that hasn't been done is, you know, we can't show that anybody's kind of been killed because of this. And so if this type of activity doesn't cause the federal government and industry to partner together in a coherent way so that we can mutually reinforce one another, well, then I suspect that it's going to take someone dying before we take that type of necessary action. I think that's awful. I don't want that to happen. I'm not advocating for that to happen. But there's just no box left that needs to be ticked before we realize just how vulnerable we are. So how are we looking for our leaders to respond to this? What is their first course of action? Yeah, so there's there's a, there's a number of, of things. So when we talk about remediation, what we've done already is we've essentially unplugged all these boxes. So any box that we think has been compromised, they've all been unplugged on the government side. Um, that's a first step, but it's not nearly sufficient. Um, because the Russians uh, had access to these, these networks for as, as much as nine months, uh, it's really hard to find them. So they're still in these networks, by the way. They're still there. What we're doing now is trying to kick them out. But that is a long, hard slog. And, and it's hard to, to feel a, a high level of confidence that you've been successful in that. And so what people like former cybersecurity uh, advisor Tom Bossert have said, and I agree with this completely, is that we need to do essentially a full rip and replace, that, that we're going to have to take scores and scores of enclaves of networks and essentially just replace them, start anew, take it down to the studs and build it out again. Um, and that's the only way you can have high confidence that you've actually you know, mediated the threat. And that's pretty basic for for any hack, right? I mean, hacking. I mean, I I heard a news report about, um, gosh, awful hackers who are who are um, attacking hospital systems, and before the hospital can operate, they can either pay the ransom or they can just wipe out their system and start again, and they have to pay a corporation to do that. Well, so it's a little bit different than ransomware. With ransomware, if you've managed to back up your system, then you can essentially say you know, we're not paying you it, and boot and restart and, you know, kind of reestablish your servers from the from the the backup that you made. This is a little bit different. This is where even if you kind of shut down your computer and rebooted and kind of rebooted from the, 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 um, the backup that you made, all you did was back up the bad guy's access. So it's a little bit different. Um, and, and what this means is in terms of how I'll know we're serious is one, uh, I would expect some type of, of explicit and, and um, deliberate funding effort to be identified because no, no existing cyber budget is going to be able to afford the type of rip and replace that this is apparently going to require. And so Congress is going to have to allocate dedicated resources for the remedi remediation of, of this. Um, I also think that, you know, look, this is hearing level stuff. This is the kind of thing that you know, every Biden appointee, national security appointee, cyber appointee has to be asked about explicitly in terms of, OK, what's your plan? What are you going to do? How are you going to, one, uh, address the compromise? And two, how are you going to um, you know, work to prevent that this type of activity doesn't doesn't happen in the future? Uh, and they're going to have to have good answers on that. So, you know, th those are just two of the things that I think will signal seriousness and anything short of those. I think we have real concerns about how serious we're taking this. One last question for you. This is an easy one, I think. 
This is a bipartisan issue, correct? Absolutely. Two things. One, Americans should rest assured that that it's not only the United States who gets hit like this. We, you know, our our cyber operations are elegant and sophisticated and very effective. You just don't hear about those when we compromise Russia because they don't have an open press and they don't have a, you know, they're not an open society. So we, no one should feel as though, you know, the United States is is you know impotent in the face of this. We're not. It's also the case that we do have the capacity to respond to this. And we have a kind of whole of nation capability to change Russian and Chinese and Iranian and North Korean and other calculus so that these types of attacks become less frequent. But what we need is the political will to actually exercise that. And so we need to start getting very serious about this. And I think starting with recommendations like those found in the Cyber Solarium Commission are a great way to start. And it's one of the key areas where Heritage is going to be focusing over the next 12 months. Thank you so much for this clarity, Klon. It's a really important issue, and we appreciate all the work you're doing on it. My pleasure. That's it for this week's Explainer. If you enjoyed this episode, please, please share it. Did you know that the majority of podcasts are found by recommendations from friends? And conservatives need your help in spreading True North policy solutions. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, the Heritage Explains page on Facebook, the Heritage Instagram page, and the Heritage YouTube page. We put our episodes everywhere to make it easier for you to listen and share. Tim is up next week. God bless America and have a great day. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher with editing by John Pop.